just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack? We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the Earth. And we're here to save it one podcast at a time. Quantifiably relatable, rarely duplicatable. It is we. And by we, I mean me. And by we, I also mean he. Who are me and he? We are we. We are Kenyan and Jack. And we are here once again with all of you blessed people to save the world. Heidi Ho. Hello. That was a lot of pronouns you used there at the beginning. I know. I hope I got them right. Grammar police don't come for me. Don't oh, you come know, for me. <laughs> you just you just ensured a whole demographic of the states, and the states aren't going to listen now because they're afraid of pronouns. Darn. I mean, that may be the, the audience that most needs to hear these things, but it's audience that's most likely not to listen. Yeah. Well, it does scare the crap out of them. You win, you win some, you lose some. It's good. It's good. We're, we're glad you're here listening, friends. That's what matters. So. Yes. Yep. So. We have a bit of news. If, uh, listening friends, you've been following along on our socials, you will have seen that just recently, Kenyan and Jack Save the World, the podcast experience has celebrated one year. One year. Here we go. Hooray. Hippity hey. Hey, hey, hey. And that was, that was a live feed from Madison Square Garden. We had to really tone the sound down though, because we didn't want to overwhelm your ears in this podcast. Correct. 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 So yes, that's, that's what, um, that's what's going on out there in the wider world. That's, that's the love that we're getting here. And we appreciate every, bit of it you guys thanks so much oh my god we do we do (laughs) all right anyway (laughs) yeah we're actually in all honesty though we're quite happy and excited that this that we've reached the one year mark Mm -hmm. um we sort of i don't even know if we i guess sticking our toes in the pool was when she guest starred on my solo podcast And then we just sort of dove in after that and decided, let's do this thing. We didn't really have much of a plan other than we are going to talk about what we can do to make people realize that we're all people with the same wants, needs, and desires. And it doesn't matter. And that was like our only game plan. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) That was it. That That was the fundamentals. We are more alike than we are different. Yep. I think, though, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jack, I think that what we found out, though, in this past year is that even though we're more alike, the differences are far and wide. 
And yes. we've, only, we've only explored a fraction of them. Hallelujah. Pass the cheese. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of it has to do with there are so many people that their differences are all they focus on and not just it's all they focus on. Mm-hmm. They focus on it to the point to where they've sort of fictionalized sort of viewpoints and made it worse. Yes. <laughs> really? Yes. And Perfect so, said. but then at the same time, they don't want to confront these differences so that the differences can get smaller. Whereas mm-hmm. Kenyatta and I want to discuss these differences mm-hmm. so they can get smaller, mm-hmm. thus making for a happier world. We're all about closing the gap here. Yes. So, in light of that, um, we decided that we wanted to take a few moments to touch on some of our our favorite uh, recollections of of the past year, and, and you know, particular topics or subjects, maybe just one liners if we can remember those that <laughs> we've enjoyed. Uh, more than others. Not that we haven't enjoyed every minute, but you know, there's just some. You you guys know. You guys know. So yeah, yeah. What were your some of your favorite moments, Jack? Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed uh, in February, sort of shining a light on people that needed to have a spotlight on them that didn't necessarily have that. Yes. I I think that's important. And um, even though it was originally on my solo podcast, I love the extra episode we did about the Tulsa race massacre. Mm-hmm. Because when I had Dr. Bob on, full disclosure, he used to be uh, my boss. He used to be the executive director of the Oklahoma Historical Society, who I worked for. And I knew... He knew a lot about it because he's given over a hundred speeches for it. So you probably know the subject. I just didn't realize until about 10 minutes into him talking about it, that he may be the world's foremost expert on it. And I'm really proud that we got somebody on the show to talk about one of the most important aspects of American history that was hidden, hidden for so long. And then to get, somebody on that's the world's foremost expert on it to shed light on it. I'm really proud about that. And I mean, so many of the other things we've done, I'm proud of too, but I like, I like us bringing parts of history to light that I think people need to know about. Oh, most definitely. Definitely. And it was, um, it was eye opening for me too, even though that that's something that I've, I've known about and learned about in bits and pieces over the years. It was, it wasn't something that I'd heard about until I got to college. And for us to be born and raised in Oklahoma and not have been taught this in school is an absolute travesty. Uh, but yes. I, I digress. But over the years since college, the bits and pieces that I've learned, I realized I knew very little because Dr. Bob he talked the mess out of that. I was just sitting there just with my mouth hanging like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That was, that was, a, that was a very good one. That was a good one. Yes. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I also enjoyed some of the more silly episodes that we did, you know, talking about in living color and key and pill. And when we did our black exploitation 
Well, I, I'm not saying they're not important and they didn't need to be discussed, but, you know, they were more lighthearted episodes in the grand scheme of what we kind of talk about. But I still really enjoyed doing that. <laughs> yes, I did, too. Very much so, because listening, friends, if you've been with us, with us for the long haul, you know I'm a little bit of a pop culture nerd. So I especially enjoy those. And just like Jack, it's not as though I don't enjoy everything that we've done, but a little lightheartedness and in a way again to even to to bridge some of the culture gaps that may exist between um the different communities here in this country just to those put those things out there and introduce those 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 kinds of things to other people who may not even know they exist or don't know mm-hmm. more details about those things than they could so yeah cuz laughter is something that brings us together oh sure so definitely definitely but definitely. yeah, it's definitely been a fun year. It's been, uh, for me at least, a learning year. I feel like I have learned so much just from doing this podcast. And, um, I, I think that on the, the journey of me being a better version of me, I think this past year has definitely accomplished that. And it's, it's tough to have to, you know, confront some things that, isn't necessarily your past, but the past of your country that you didn't necessarily know about. And, you know, sometimes that's a tough pill to swallow. And I felt like I was getting slapped in the face a lot, but I'm a better person for having, <laughs> having gone through it, you know? Alrighty. <laughs> you masochist, you. Um, I know. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, in particular about having learned a lot and having grown and evolved in my thought processes. And as I, I mentioned to Jack, uh, listening to friends last week, maybe a week before, offline, I feel I've, I've become a better conversationalist in general. It's not mm-hmm. like I didn't, it wasn't like I didn't always talk because I've been known to do that, but <laughs> I've, I've, I've learned to actually talk with a purpose. Instead of just, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not always about saying what's on your mind. It's about saying what's on your mind if it's relevant and getting mm-hmm. your point and getting your point across as concisely as possible. I've learned to do that and I've learned to take notes again. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> and you know, I've really in the process of doing that, doing this, it's not like it's something I didn't know, but I really have sort of realized, you know, you have to listen to what the other person is saying too. Mm-hmm. You can't always just be thinking of your retort. <laughs> you know, you need to listen to what the other person says. And I've, I think I'm much better at doing that. Yes. And it's so hard because my brain doesn't want to. It wants to go <laughs> and fly on, you know, unicorns or something. <laughs> unicorns with glitter, with glitter wings and with little tiny, Tinkerbell fairies all around, but I digress. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to see what this next year has in store for us. And I hope listening friends, you are too. Yes, definitely. Cause I mean, we got a few things on the plate and believe it or not, I've heard, you know, some podcasters and I'm not saying anything against them or anything. They have, you know, six months worth of stuff planned out and they've got notes and notebooks and this that and the third and that's good that's good i i myself i'm not a big way ahead planner <laughs> right I'll plan, I'll plan ahead through the weekend 
and then I'll see what happens. Unless, you know, unless there's some money due to somebody. I'll write that down. Everything <laughs> else? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I definitely feel that. <laughs> yeah. But I like the I like the consistency in the in the routine of planning things out and brainstorming and again taking notes and gathering your thoughts and saying how do I want to approach this or what do I want to talk about in this because some of the topics we talked about can and kind of have been pretty wide open mm-hmm. and, yeah. and even even though those are things that we want to talk about we had to find a way to approach them to where they weren't overwhelming so yeah yeah critical, that's true critical thinking. And even though I can't think of the guy's name to save my life, I am still in all of the guy that was the abolitionist from what was it? 17, the 1760s or whatever, 1770s that stood out like barefoot in the snow to prove a point that, you know, if slaves aren't going to have shoes in the winter, I'm not going to either. And John Brown. No, no, no. John Brown was in the 1800s. The, he was that short, Guy, I think he lived in Boston that we oh, did oh, on our oh, abolitionist one. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Oh, and he like got up on stage and like splattered flake blood on everybody. Yeah. I am still every now and again I'll be like, that guy was just so ahead of his time. That was showmanship for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Top he was, notch. He was the first troll. <laughs> Top notch. He would definitely be an internet troll today. Elon Musk would have already kicked him off of Twitter because he would have been in his. He would have been holed up in a basement with a three monitor setup, just tick-a, 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 all day long, going after. He definitely everybody. would have <laughs> going after everybody. He would have a mini fridge because he didn't want to go back upstairs for anything. He just <laughs> he would spend sixteen hours a day. Tick-a, 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 tick-a. And he yes, yeah. he would work from home in tech. So you already know that. So yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. For sure. <laughs> that is a guy that. Trollwise was made for the 21st century. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Some people were just born a little bit too early. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, yes, we have not to say complete plans, but we have grand aspirations for this next year and onwards. So stick with us, guys. Stick with us. So. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Well, should yeah. we slide over to our WTFs? Certainly. Slightly, slightly, slightly. And I think it is your turn. Okay. Mine is uh, kind of, it falls under the uh, law of unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. So here in the great state of Oklahoma, where the winds come sweeping down the plain, something, (laughs) something, 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 something. They like feet. I don't know. Thank you. You're. You're going to make me sing it at the very end. Go ahead. Right. <laughs> so back in in July and August, uh, here in Oklahoma, there was a petition that went about to get people to sign to just make marijuana use fully recreational and not just medicinal. There will still be medicinal. It, taxes will be less for that. But otherwise, it will be fully recreational. And they got it in. Then, of course, the way it works in Oklahoma, the secretary or the election board has to go and certify and compare all the signatures to make sure they're actual, you know, real voters that sign the petition. And then it gets certified by the secretary of state's office. And then it has to be looked at by the Oklahoma Supreme Court to make sure that it's good. And then the governor sets a date for election. 
for it to be voted on. Now, everything was done in time for this particular measure to have been placed on the ballot for the midterm elections. Because, you know, there is a deadline because I got to print out the ballots and all of that stuff. I get that. I'm not complaining about that. But our governor, a man by the name of J. Kevin Stitt, doesn't like marijuana use. And so he he wiggled his way out of getting it on the ballot for the midterms. And he created a special election in March because I think his thought was if it's a special election, ter- voter turnout won't be high. And maybe it won't pass. That'll give the no people a chance to, to work on it. So it's in March. But then here's where the law of unintended consequences happen. There is a different group of people that now have a petition for people to go and sign to make legalized abortion part of the Constitution in Oklahoma. And their goal is to get it done. So that measure will be added to the special election in March for recreational marijuana. So in his effort to keep recreational marijuana not a thing in Oklahoma, he may have just forced an issue on the same ballot that's going to draw out voters. Well, well, congratulations, governor. Your your plan worked. (laughs) Yeah, his... His, the law of unintended consequences is you may have just made both of those things pass. Because I'm pretty sure that most of the weed smokers are going <laughs> to vote for the other, and the other will probably vote for the weed smoking. So, mm, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, what is it? The well laid plans of mice and men? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the opposite of. Oh. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to March just for no other reason than to watch that that whole process happen. Oh, you sit there and watch the the election results come in like. (laughs) Yeah, and if there's one thing the midterms have showed us as well, Gen Z is going to come out and vote for that shit. Or to put it more colloquially, colloquially, however you say it. To use a cliche, don't count your chickens and expect it to drink. Yes. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The uh, Gen Z, I have a feeling, is going to come out for that because they have proven they will vote. <laughs> they are a formidable group. When it's serious for them, it's serious for them. So, not that I ever... Not that I ever took too much glee in clowning, you know, the younger generation. I, I didn't really ever, but th- this that that has served this past year has served to dispel most of my remaining reservations about them collectively. Yeah, so, yeah. How they feel about us, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I have bills to pay. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, we're Gen X. We don't care what anyone thinks about us. <laughs> Correct. Because you know why? <laughs> we're used to not being thought of. So Correct. that includes ourselves. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> gravy. You know, when you grow up with parents that don't care about you. I mean, collectively, not our parents in particular. But Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Yeah, we're just here. We're just... We're just filling in this 20, 25 year space in between. So yeah. that, that's pretty much all we're doing. 
We're placeholders. We're placeholders. They call us the placeholder generation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, boy. But we're cool as fuck, so there's that. Okay. That's right. <laughs> so, anyway, there we go. That's it. My uh, law of unintended consequences. And there yeah. you go. Good. I, I, I look forward to see what happens, and I guess in March, I'll update you. If I'll, I remember, I'll, I'll be interested to hear it, and I'm I'm sure it'll be on somebody's news somewhere. So I'll make a note to be on the lookout. Definitely. Oh boy, this world. All right. So <laughs> moving on to your WTF. <laughs> I'm sure that it was like drought-like conditions. Finding anything to talk about. It was. It was. It was difficult. It was difficult. But I did come across this little tasty gem. So, <clears throat> here recently, and I believe it was actually yesterday, the day before, may have been, there was a little get-together over across the pond. Um, let's see, what was the event? It was at Buckingham Palace over there, you know, in Britain. Um, mm -hmm. It was a reception to raise awareness about violence against women and girls. Uh, one of the attendees was a British activist and chief executive of domestic abuse charity called Sista Space, S-I-S-T-A-H Space. Her name is Ngozi Fulani. And she was approached by one of the other attendees by the name of Lady Susan Hussey. And the, the older woman, because uh, Lady, Lady Susan Hussey, it was 83, is 83, and was a lady-in-waiting to the late Queen Elizabeth. Ah, yeah. So since Queen's uh, passing earlier this year, her role has become honorary, but she's still, you know, present for a lot of things that happened at Buckingham Palace, one of which was this reception. So Lady Hussey uh, approaches, uh, approaches Miss Fulani, engaging her in conversation, and the conversation went something like, Lady Hussey approaches her, touches her hair to move it away from the name tag that she has on her dress, because Miss Fulani has long hair, touches mm -hmm. her hair, strike one, mm -hmm. looks, looks at her name, and this is the rest of the conversation. Lady S.H., where are you from? Miss Fulani, sister space. Lady, no. Where do you come from? Miss Fulani, we're based in Hackney. The lady, no, what part of Africa are you from? Miss Fulani, I don't know. They didn't leave any records. The lady, well, you must know where you're from. I spent time in France. Where are you from? Miss Fulani, here, UK. The lady, no, but what nationality are you? Miss Fulani, I am born here and am British. The lady, no, but where do you really come from? Where do your people come from? Miss Fulani. Miss hmm. Fulani, my people. Lady, what is this? Lady as in her title. Mm -hmm. uh, the lady. Oh, I can see I'm going to have a challenge getting you to say where you're from. When did you first come here? Miss Fulani. Lady, I am a British national. My parents came here in the 50s when she gets cut off. Lady. Oh, I knew we'd get there in the end. You're Caribbean. Miss Fulani, no, lady. I am of African heritage, 
Caribbean descent and British nationality. The lady, oh, so you're from, etc., etc., etc. So unfortunately, that is how the evening was for Miss Fulani. Um, and she was standing there with uh, another person by the name of Mandu Reed, who was the leader of the Women's Equality Party, who witnessed the entire exchange and said it felt like, quote, an interrogation. Since that event, Lady Hussey has stepped down from her honorary role at Buckingham Palace. Now, <clears throat> let me clear my throat. <laughs> Other than this obvious exchange, one of the other issues I see here is that social media is always good for letting people tell themselves. And so a lot of the comments I saw behind this story was, I don't see what the problem was. Lady Hussey didn't do anything wrong. She was just asking her where it's where she's from. How is that a problem? Why would you call that racist? She's just asking where she's from. She's making conversation. This touched a nerve with me because a few times, and it hasn't been often over my lifetime, but I can count on one hand, more than one finger, that I have been asked, where are you from? Right. And that, in, 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 in listening friends, I'm, I'm, I know y'all are with us. You know what we're about. So I know I'm not asking you the question or putting this to you, but anyone that asks that question and doesn't take the first answer that they're given, is going in the wrong direction. You're making assumptions where you shouldn't be. She yeah. didn't want to, she didn't want to take this young lady's word that, that she is British. She was born in Britain, but her ethnic background is African and Caribbean. She didn't take that simply because Ms. Fulani happens to believe, uh, happens to be of African and Caribbean descent. No. Because of the way she looked, Lady Hussey assumed that she couldn't be British. And like I said again, just and this is why I should stay off social media. That's that's ironic for, for us to say, but some of the comments just had me itching. There were so many people who did not see what the problem was. Yeah. From, from the fact that the woman touched her hair. Uh-uh. Yeah. Hmm. Let, let me interject real quick. Uh-huh. Our white listening friends. <laughs> Do not ever walk up to somebody, anybody, but especially our black friends and touch their hair. Ever. Don't do it. First of all, keep your goddamn hands to yourself. You shouldn't just be touching people willy nilly anyway. Pretty much. But don't touch the hair. And here's the thing. It's, it's to the point to where if you see somebody, like a female, and her hair is looking great that day. I don't feel comfortable to say, wow, your hair looks great today. Because I know that from her perspective, from a white person, what generally follows next is, can I touch it? So your ability to compliment somebody that might make their day a little better if you were to say, hey, your hair looks great today. But because of this other thing, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. So please, I'm begging you, mm-hmm. don't do it. Just don't. Okay, my interjection's over. <laughs> okay, thank you for that. 
and and hopefully for listening friends that had questions about that thing in particular, hopefully we cleared it up. You're welcome. Um, yes. Also, and this is where I'm coming for you, Jack. You cannot refer to human women as females. Oh, sorry. It's shame. Where's my so, shame bell? Where is it? Where Where's I, my shame? Where's my shame somet- cat? Sometimes my <laughs> Sometimes my age kind of kicks in, and I just tried to go more, you know, medical sciency explanation. I guess. No, no, I I get it. It just I had I had to get you on that one. So my interjection of your interjection is concluded. And okay. we've both interjected, interjectedly. I okay, let's guess. stop that where it is. Okay, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yes, there's that part. And the second part was the assumption that because she looked the way she looked, she couldn't possibly be British. Now, yeah, that's, that's the real yeah. problem to me. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I have seen excuses being made for this, this lady hussy. She's 83. She's probably spent the better part of her life in and around the royal family. Hence, she lives in a little tiny royal bubble. Does she not watch the television? Has she not picked up a magazine? I, I, I don't know. Does she not realize that people can look any way, have any skin tone under the rainbow? And be from anywhere? Did that never occur to her? Or are we just excusing in a way because she's an older white woman? Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Yeah. She, she, she was rude. She's from Hackney. <laughs> she was rude and was disrespectful. And I'm glad they mm-hmm. did what they did. They just gently told her, ma'am, go ahead and, and uh, shut your computer off. Come to the office. Pretty much. So. Yeah. And 83 is not an excuse. You should still know how to read a room. It takes cues from another person, right? When she responded, I'm from Hackney. End of conversation. But again, it, it couldn't it couldn't be that. Yeah, she may be from Hackney, but apparently she could not have been born in right. Britain. Be from Hackney. Oh my yeah. gosh. There's yeah. the thought. So yeah. That bothered me a great deal. I was uh I was not amused. I was not yeah. amused. Especially yeah. And like I said, then having all the comments that I've been reading and, and how they were trying to excuse it and saying, well, I don't see what the problem was. She was just asking where she was from, but she didn't want to take the first answer she got. And she kept going because it was unacceptable to her. Yeah. The hell with yeah. that. Ah, the world we live in. Hooray. <laughs> Hooray. Yeah. It's, it's definitely the world we live in. Mm. Um, now, I can say there have been times where I have been speaking to somebody and they have an interesting accent and I will ask, um, you know, namely because I think sort of different parts of the world. And I want to know about the places people are from. And that even includes states mm-hmm. where somebody in it, it doesn't matter. We're like, be like, your, your accent is clearly not an American accent. What part of the world are you from? You know, mm-hmm. and I've had people that have been like, um, I'm from Czechoslovakia. Oh, that's cool. Tell me about Czechoslovakia or I'm from Germany. Uh, Germany's common because a lot of military people get stationed in Germany and married German women, you know, but I ended up one time talking to this guy 
that was from Kenya for like two hours at a festival because I was just so fascinated, you know, that he lived in this big giant town in Kenya that in America we we don't know about. And I was just fascinated about the his life there, but it wasn't because I didn't, you know, think that oh, mm-hmm. he can't be an American. I was just like, truly fascinated about what is it like to live in a place that's not America. And yes. I don't care where that country is, <laughs> you know, for me. <laughs> I'm I'm like you in that regard, and it's not it's not everybody that I'll come across that I'll ask that question of. But it was a few years ago. Um, we went to a restaurant up in um, Williamsburg, um, you know, the touristy Cologne Williamsburg area, et cetera, et cetera. And that attracts you know people from all over the place, really. Yeah. Um, the restaurant we went to, our our um, our waiter had an accent, really nice, very nice young man. And, you know, he came and introduced himself, took our drink, orders, went away. And I'm staring. It was, I was with my mom and um, my daughter because it was my daughter's birthday dinner. I says, um, his accent, it sounds really familiar. I wonder where he's from. So we were kind of guessing. And then he came back. And I said it. Well, I said, I said, it sounds almost South African. And my daughter and my mom looked at me like, Hmm? I was like, I don't know why I think that. I said, but it, that's what it sounds like. It's a, a, like, it's not something, it's not what I hear often, but it sounds like that might, might be. I said, I could be just mm-hmm. all wrong. Yeah. So he comes back and, and he's chatting with us about, you know, the menu and what's good and things like that. I said, I hope you don't mind, but I have to ask. Um, your accent. Can I ask where you're from? He said, yes, I'm from South Africa. I said, ah, ha! <laughs> in your face <laughs> that was one of the few times I actually got an accent right but I'm curious about those things too and it's not to try to ostracize anybody or make them feel any kind of way for not being American because sometimes in some instances I'm thinking where they're from might have you know something more exciting going on right now but right. that's neither yeah. here nor there yeah, yeah. no I just I'm just so curious and, you know, I have a limited experience of living in the United States. This is the world I know. And I just find it fascinating to hear from people about what their country of origin is like. And I, I just think it's kind of cool. And I, I like that that experience comes over to the United States. I think it makes us a better place. And I, but you know, sometimes you feel like, man, the person's going to think that you're going to be a dick because people ruin it for curious people. Yeah, <laughs> when they- it's really, I just want to know about, hey, what's your experience from wherever? Yep. Pretty so, much. Pretty much. If you think about it, the courage that it takes to leave your world to go to a whole new world in effect. That that takes a lot of courage. You know, it takes courage to move from Oklahoma to L.A. <laughs> in today's world. Yeah, right? it does. Right? Should like to move to move from the middle of the country to either coast, really? Because yeah. you're you're literally talking about you know a different dimension in some instances. So. Yeah. So if you encounter somebody from I don't know Poland, 
or Liberia or Laos. Mm-hmm. And they have come to America just the sheer, I mean, really if you think about it, the audacity to do that is pretty mm-hmm. incredible. It is. Mm-hmm. It's pretty it incredible. Is. And I, I applaud is. people that do that. Mm-hmm. I do too. I do too. I, I said, I don't know. I might get up the courage one day to go visit outside the country. I've known some people that have, and they've had a fantastic experience. I just have to get myself together. So yes, one day, one day it's, there's a couple places on my list. So we'll see. Yeah. And if everybody would share our podcast with about 400 people, we mm-hmm. could have a podcast of over a million listeners. And then we will both be able to afford to go overseas to check some of these places out. Cause then we'll be officially quote, Working podcasters. Right. It won't be a hobby. Indeed. So, listening friends, see what you can do. We appreciate you. Okay. Yeah. Elon Musk, (laughs) if you would like to waste just a small portion of $44 we would be glad to take your money. We ain't Um, too proud, even though you're nuts. You know full well we are not his cup of tea. There's that. Hmm. But anyway, the British, everybody. The British. Yay. Yeah, wow, our WTFs took a little longer today. (laughs) They did, they did. But um, So I guess that's a good segue then into our main topic. And this this topic uh, today might be a little little different than usual. It still falls in historical realm, but I only thought of it because of the conversation I had a couple weeks ago, and I started reading up on it. I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I suggested it, and here we go. Yeah, we are going to discuss the history of the Twilight Trilogy books. Yes! What I want to touch on first is... No, never mind. Um, (laughs) If you're still listening, that was a joke. (laughs) Everybody's like on the phone. I'm like, what is this? Click. Um, (laughs) We're going to talk about the 1988 United States presidential election. Why? You ask just some random election out of the how many that we've had in this great nation since its inception? Yes, but this wasn't necessarily a random one. There were some things that happened in the course of it that we can kind of, we can, well, not kind of, we can see in the kind of elections that we've had in the last 8, 10, 12 years-ish. So, mm-hmm. 1988, where... Jack and I and folks around our age, we were just teenagers. So politics probably wasn't too big on our radar at this point. But since then, I have learned some things about what happened in this um, particular election. So we're going to share them with you today. So seven contenders came up to battle for the Democratic nomination that for that year. They were referred to as, quote, the seven dwarves. And they were, Ariz- <laughs> they were Arizona Governor Bruce Babbitt, Delaware Senator Joseph Robinette Biden, Massachusetts. I wonder what happened Gov- to that guy. Yeah, I know. Massachusetts Governor Michael Dukakis, Missouri Representative Richard Gephardt, Tennessee Senator Al Gore, the guy that invented the internet, mm-hmm. civil rights, civil rights leader Jesse Jackson, and Illinois Senator Paul Simon. So, in not, short, not the other half of Garfunkel. Correct. It's a different I'm Paul sorry. Simon. Yes, I'm, I meant to clarify. Not the, the other one is my mortal enemy because he was married to Carrie Fisher. But I digress. 
you've mentioned that. Um, <laughs> in short, in short order, though, as the campaign um, season uh, commenced, uh, the Democratic contenders trickled off one by one. Uh, Mr. Biden retired from the race after he was caught quoting without credit from the speeches of a the British Labour Party leader at the time, Neil Kinnock. Apparently, Biden had quoted his speeches before because he liked them so much, but he also he always cited whose speech it was. But during a primary debate at the Iowa State Fair on August 23rd, 1987, remember campaign season starts early around here, mm-hmm. he, he made a quote saying, those same people who read poetry and wrote poetry and taught me how to sing verse? Is it because they didn't work hard? My ancestors who worked in the coal mines in Northeast Pennsylvania and would come up after 12 hours and play football for four hours? This was Biden's quote in his speech. Well, it turned out he actually pulled that line straight from a speech of Mr. Kinnock. And he admitted as such in a 2004 interview that he had blatantly ripped it off. But this time he did not cite the original speechmaker, got called out for it, and gently bowed out. It was Dukakis's people, his campaign manager, John Sasso, and his political director, Paul Telly, they discovered that Biden had plagiarized just a little bit, put together a video, and leaked it to the media. Naturally, Dukakis had to let them go. Among the other remaining Democrats at that point, Babbitt, Simon, and Gephardt all dropped out along the way after this point after failing to string together enough primary victories or raise enough money to continue campaigning. Babbitt, though he had gained attention with a courageous promise to raise taxes to help reduce the swollen U.S. budget deficit, did not come across well on television. Simon, who apparently used to wear a bow tie, had an old-fashioned big government approach to domestic problems, but he did not attract enough support. Gephardt, managed to win the Iowa caucuses, but his basic theme, trade protectionism, did not play well outside the Midwest. Now, when I read about what the heck trade protectionism is... Plays well now. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Didn't mean to interrupt, it just popped out. (laughs) I don't know that I can rightly explain it in a way that um, I fully understand, but because we're talking about the Midwest, it does have to do with pretty much making money on uh, farming and to anybody outside the midwest that has more industrial areas than they do farm and crops they don't care this is where this single issue voter comes in the one person that says the one thing that you agree with the most is the one you're going to go with it doesn't matter whatever else it said and that explains trump i digress so after those gentlemen dropped that left al gore who had won five Southern primaries on a single day, which is what we usually call Super Tuesday, which was March 8th of 1988. (sighs) Jesse Jackson, who at that point had the second highest delegate count and happened to be the first African-American to mount a serious presidential campaign, they both continued running through the last four primaries, which were California, Montana, New Jersey, and New Mexico on June 7th. And Dukakis, of course, they were all left at that point. Dukakis, though, won the very important New York primary on April 19th, 
Democrat National Convention takes place in July 1988. They nominate Duke as their candidate. Jesse Jackson tries to lobby for the vice president spot, and Dukakis instead picks Texas Senator Lloyd Benston. At that time, the Democrats had 17 points over the Republicans in opinion polls. So on the Republican side of things, as we know, most of us our age, Reagan was finishing up his limit of two terms, and his incumbent vice president, George Herbert Walker Bush, Mm -hmm. yes, ran as a candidate for the Republican nominee. And there were three other candidates vying for that position. Bob Dole of Kansas. Hey, Bob. Who was at that time the Senate Minority Leader. Apparently, he was well-known and well-respected for his wit and intelligence, and he was a smart man. But some considered him to be overly acerbic. Hmm. Former New York Representative Jack Kemp and the Reverend... Robertson. I would just like to interject mm-hmm. that <laughs> I am not related to Pat Robertson. We may share a last name, and that's it. Thank you. I, the rest of us don't claim him. That's fair. That's fair. Bush, though, as they went through the primaries, he actually had gotten started. He had gotten off to a poor start and came in third in Iowa behind Robertson and Dole. But he did eventually make a comeback where he out he outpolled Dole and Kemp in the February 16th New Hampshire primaries and did pretty well on Super Tuesday. March 29th, which was the Illinois primary, which Bush won with 55% of the vote. And that actually only left uh, Bush at that point, Dole and Robertson because Kemp had already dropped out. At that point, Bush did become the Republicans, what they call de facto nominee, because the Republicans hadn't had a national convention yet, but that was made official in August. And they had that convention down in New Orleans. But Bush Sr. did something interesting when he picked his vice presidential running mate, a little fella by the name of Dan Quayle, who was an Indiana senator at the time. Hardy hard. Yes. I would just like to pause here. And even though I speak for myself when I say, no, I didn't have a real big interest in politics or who was president at that time, I remember Dan Quayle. Dan Quayle was a special fellow. Um, he, he was the butt of a lot of, a lot of Johnny Carson <laughs> jokes. <laughs> he, was, he was a special fellow. I'll just remember the whole debate about potato. Anyway. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, it, but if you are Dan Quayle, you are probably the only person that was happy about Pence because that does not make you the worst vice president from Indiana. Bingo. Thank you. You were in my head. <laughs> Moving on. Now, now that we've got the Republican nominee, the Democratic, Democratic nominee locked in, now the real fun begins. So instead of Bush Sr. building a platform on what he could offer the American people, which is usually what presidential candidates like to do or should do. He focused on how many triggers could he push on Dukakis. And his speeches and campaign advertising focus on small things, picky things, such as Dukakis' veto of a state law in Massachusetts, requiring public school students to recite the Pledge of Allegiance, 
Dukakis's alleged failure to deal with pollution in Boston Harbor, and the more pressing issues at the time, which were the federal deficit, and of course the usual laundry list of domestic and foreign policy questions. Because remember, and I remember this, 1988, we were still in the Cold War. And even though it wasn't known then, it would be another year and change before we saw the so-called quote-unquote official end of it. Mm-hmm. But of course, yep. no one predicts the future, but that was still a huge pressing issue at the time. And apparently that was not the focus of uh, Bush's camp, to focus on those kinds of things. Let's pick on Dukakis instead. Right. And not that this is the first presidential campaign where... That was the tactic to pick at your opponent's weaknesses as opposed to showcasing your strengths. But as I'll get into in just a little bit later, it started to become an unfortunate habit of campaigning, not just for presidential campaigns, but for campaigns across the board, is to undermine your opponent as opposed to telling the people what you can do for them. So, Right. People don't tend to talk policy much anymore. No. One of the other things Bush's people tended to pick with, uh, as far as Dukakis's uh, track record was concerned, was a Massachusetts prison furlough plan that had been put in place some years ago, again, while Dukakis was still governor. And under that furlough plan, a tragic event happened. But Bush's people seized on the opportunity to pick at it uh, as a reason why Dukakis would be quote-unquote soft on crime. Because if there's nothing else that the American people love to hear, it's that we'll be safe. No one wants a leader that makes them unsafe. And so that's what Bush and his people decided to lean on. Does Dukakis make you feel safe? Well, he shouldn't because he approved this furlough plan. And they made an ad that was called Revolving Door. And what it showed was... Um, a line of men, apparently in a prison, going through a actual revolving door. And what it what the ad um, ended with was, quote, Now Michael Dukakis says he wants to do for America what he's done for Massachusetts. America can't afford that risk. And the disclaimer at the end indicates that the ad was paid for and endorsed by the bush Quell campaign. Because that's how fast mm-hmm. they talk when they get Okay, right. so... That's what Bush's people were doing. They were poking holes in, in, in Dukakis's track record and making it out that he was no good for the American people. But there is something to the furlough program that some political historians and pundits have said uh, was part of the reason why the presidential campaign ended the way it did. There was a man that was let out on this Massachusetts furlough uh, program. By the name of William Horton, this man was already in prison for, I want to say it was like 25 and change or something like that, for robbery and first-degree murder. But somehow he qualified for this furlough program, which was letting inmates out for a weekend and then, you know, entrusting them to turn themselves back in when the weekend was over. Horton did not. So what he did was on June 6, 1986, um, he was let out on furlough. He didn't come back. Almost a year later, on April 3, 1987, he was arrested for raping a young woman and stabbing her boyfriend. He was later sentenced to consecutive life terms plus 85 years. 
And the only reason that Horton managed to qualify for the furlough program because Dukakis had vetoed a bill way back in 1976, which would have prevented first-degree murderers from furloughs, stating that it would take away from criminal rehabilitation. Naturally, Bush's people leapt on this. There was another nice little ad that came out as a result of this information coming about about Horton, and the commercial was called Weekend Passes, and it was actually made by an independent group called the National Security Political Action Committee. And they mention, they talk about the furlough plans, such as Bush's uh, advertisement did, but they mention William Horton by name, and they tell the specific story of what he did. And again, because obviously they're an independent group, but of course they're falling on the side of Bush, but Bush's people were like, no, you got to take that ad down. That's no good. It only aired once or twice, a handful of times, apparently, but it did its job. So, again, many political historians point to that as being one of the reasons why the race ended it the way it did. But from the whole of the, how that furlough um, plan turned out, and that furlough program actually went on a little bit longer past what happened with Horton. But because of that, Bush's camp insisted that Dukakis was solved on crime. He can't protect you, Americans. But what that ad, the Weekend Passes ad, also did was start an unpleasant trend of uh, racial profiling in political campaigns, which, and it, and it usually followed those same lines. This person that looks like this did this bad thing. We'll right. protect you from people that do things like this. And even though it wasn't directly said, the implication is these people will do these things. We'll protect you from these things. And it's that kind of thought process that has trickled down over the years that leads to all the talk and all the backlash against immigration. Those people do bad things. We'll protect you from those people. Let me build this little six-foot backyard fence to protect the southern border. Send right. me your change. It's, it's the, that's the same idea as this. Let us make you right. scared of this other group. Then let us tell you that we're going to protect you from it. Yeah. Same idea. It, it's and been like, happening ever since then. Ever I since mean, then. That, that's the whole thing that they were doing in the midterms. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely that. Yeah, You can't vote for John Fetterman. He's soft on crime. Yeah. Soft on crime. He won't protect you. He will literally let swashbuckling pirates in your backyards, but we'll protect you from it. Yeah. Okay. Sure. That's, that's exactly what's going to happen. So. Yeah. And again... The backlash wasn't just on Dukakis in this particular case, but on the Democratic Party as a whole, because in efforts to make it look like they were stricter on crime, that led to a lot of changing of sentencing guidelines. And those are the same ones that we talk about now, where we see stricter and more harsher sentencing for comparable types of crime. And the only difference is the defendant. So, mm -hmm. yep. These are the these are the kinds of things and the kinds that particular ad, like I said, kind of trickled down and it widened as it went as it went, and that's why we see today those kind of sentencing guidelines, those kinds of that kind of rhetoric, especially what was coming out of Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton's camp back when he was running, and on down the line. And it's unfortunate the Democratic Party backed itself into a corner like that. You no, know, we're not soft on crime, but look what we did.
Right. And it's really, you know, the, like that cartoon or the movie thing of somebody's at the top of the mountain and they have like a little rock and they roll it. And then at the end of the mountain, it's this gigantic snowball that goes mm-hmm. through the ski lodge and destroys everything. Exactly. That's what that was. That's exactly what it was. So part of what stumped Dukakis though, and he's even admitted it in years since that he didn't respond to those attacks like he should have. People said he was lackluster, that he wasn't on the ball, that he wasn't striking back directly at what Bush was saying. And I guess he thought himself maybe what better than that? Well, he's attacking me, but I'm not going to attack him. And, you know, in years since, I mean, history serves up hard lessons. So this is one of them. Then came September 13th of 1988, still hot on the campaign trail. Dukakis and his people planned a whole whirlwind tour, which included a tour of a general dynamics plant that made tanks. Somewhere in this plant, they decided it would look cool for Dukakis to ride a tank. Why? Because it may look like he was big on defense. And that's another one. Military, defense, protect America. Big, big. So Real quick, in a Morgan Freeman voice, everybody picture it this way. But that, in fact, is not how that picture turned out. (laughs) So there was a whole discussion between Dukakis' people and the folks at General Dynamics. Well, you know, the tank is this big. And if you want a picture and if you want this and this and this and also safety regulations, you have to wear a helmet. Huh? Apparently it's a no-no for him to wear a hat, a helmet of any kind. But... It's safety. We're around moving objects. It makes sense. Helmet or no helmet. Helmet or no helmet. It went back and forth. Finally, Dukakis puts on the helmet. And it's pre-planned. Instead of having him climb up on the tank as it's going or outside of the hangar, they have him climb up before and they roll it out, you know, at a fairly moderate speed. Pictures were taken. Dukakis is on a tank with a helmet with a thumbs up, smiling like a goober. So. Reporters went wild over the pictures. Dukakis thought it was going to make him look like he was a supporter of military. It backfired completely. The pictures didn't take long to pretty much spread everywhere, including into the Bush camp, where somebody that worked with his team said, quote, my God, he looks like Alfred E. Newman. <laughs> and if you've ever read be fair, magazine, he, he, he kind of did. did. <laughs> And also, to be fair, Johnny Carson made as much fun of him for that picture as he did Dan Quell. He was an equal opportunity fun maker ever. He was. He was. And and like I, I don't remember that when when it happened, but I read about it since, and I'm like, yeah, that didn't do what you thought it was going to do. So, nope. So about a month later, and this is during the second presidential debate on October 13th, Dukakis was asked by moderator Bernard Shaw whether or not he would still oppose capital punishment if his wife were raped and murdered. Instead of responding to that question with, let's say, what you would think would be outrage or earnestness or some kind of passionate response, apparently he was very cool and very academic and said something about being against the death penalty and never mentioned his own wife's name. In other words, 
he took a very dry approach to something that was very personal to people and that was made personal for him and turned it into that. It didn't take very long for him to fall as far as 17 points behind in one particular opinion poll. So now he's losing whatever gains he had. However, near the end of October, early November, he did pick up a little speed, edged up in the polls, but too little too late. Election day, November 8th, 1988, Bush ends up taking 54% of the vote to Dukakis's 46%. Bush took all but 10 states in Washington, D.C., in one just over, or excuse me, one almost 49 million popular votes to almost 42 for Dukakis. Now, here's a fun fact that I keep finding out as though I keep forgetting it, and I know they didn't make any sense. But even though we see the presidential election happen in November, the Electoral College meets a month later in December to finalize or formalize those votes. Interestingly enough, when the Electoral College met that next month, Dukakis only received, he actually received 112 uh, electoral votes. But when they went in to do the actual count, he only got 111. Because apparently in protest against the Electoral College system, an elector from West Virginia, a state that Dukakis had actually won, chose Benson for president and Dukakis for vice president. He wrote it in just because he had beef with the Electoral College. And frankly, I understand him having a beef with the Electoral College because I, too, have a beef with the Electoral College. But that's a completely different podcast. But that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Officially, he was supposed to have gotten 112. But it didn't matter. He didn't win. And so George Herbert Walker Bush became the president-elect in 1988. And that's the story of that. But here's another yep. little tidbit I found um, interesting. The full resort, the full results in order, all of the candidates that were running for president that were on the ballots across all states, in the order of order of amount of votes, Bush, of course, was first for the Republican Party, Michael Dukakis, second as Democratic, Ron Paul, the Libertarian Party, came in third, Lenora Fulani came in fourth for the New Alliance Party. And this name is going to sound familiar to, to some of us. Coming in fifth was David Duke, former Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. And he initially ran in the Democratic primaries and won absolute nothing and instead switched over to the Populist Party and came in fifth. Sixth was Eugene McCarthy, no relation to Joseph McCarthy. He ran under the Consumer Party. Next was James Griffin for the American Independent Party. Then Lyndon LaRouche Jr. for the National Economic Recovery Party. William Mara for the Right to Life Party. Ed Wynn for the Workers League. James Warren for the Socialist Workers Party. And Herbert Lewin for the Peace and Freedom Party. So that is your 1988 United States presidential election. Yeah, and that did lead to one of the all-time great political disses of all time. That was during the vice presidential debate, where one Dan Quill was talking about how 
because he was asked, you know, well, you don't really have a lot of experience. And he said, well, at this point in my life, I have more experience than John F. Kennedy had, which led to the following retort from one Lloyd Benson and Hedges cigarettes. Probably not the same. Maybe. And it was. I knew JFK, and you, sir, are no JFK. Hmm. Let's take a moment of silence. Okay, that's it. Um, yeah. Doesn't matter your feelings. That's a great diss. It is. And Dan Quayle. He's a, he was he's a special kind of fella. I don't know what he's doing right now. I don't know. I don't know. You know what he did do? He did tell Mike Pence, uh, "Yeah, you can't do that as vice president." So we do have that from him. Yeah. So that is at least a positive. <laughs> I don't know if he's in. Well, he can't really be in the same quiet place as Mittens because Mittens. We still hear from Mittens occasionally, so he can't be there. So I'm um, I'm curious. I if I really thought about it, I would have looked into that. What does what is what is Dan Quill doing now? Is he writing a book? Is he putting together a memoir? I'm sure he has one already. Let's see. Dan Quill. Oh look, former vice president of these United States. He is seventy five now. Wow. wow. Uh huh. Yeah, the potatoes thing. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. We talked about that at length at school. I remember that. I don't know. I don't even know why we wanted to talk about Dan Quayle, but we talked about him misspelling potato because that was a yeah, big deal. yeah. That was a big deal. I don't. It does. I. There's not a whole lot. There's not a whole lot that he's doing right now. I just shocking, shocking. Yeah. Did he he just got. Book? He just got burned so hard that he just had to retire. He had to. Yeah. Oh, he did do a memoir back in 94. Okay. All right. So. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that when he made fun of Murphy Brown. I loved Murphy Brown. Yeah, they got him for that, too. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he was like the precursor to just saying anything you want and hope it comes out right. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was, he was big on that. Yeah. And, you know, that. Sort of a family discuss thing. It's mm. like, you know, mm. for a generation that was as nor ignored as much as ours was, we have sure lived through a lot of crap or a lot of stuff. You know, the fall of the Soviet Union and the Iron Curtain and mm. the recombining of Germany and just, you know, what was considered at the time, well, probably still is the largest sort of military coalition against another entity. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. you know, a guy that was running for president named Gary Hart that was dropped out because it was discovered that he had, you know, cheated on his wife. And I don't even know. Well, I know for a fact that that doesn't dissuade people from voting for people now, because there's a certain orange Jesus that is a serial cheater and that didn't bother people. So, Gary Hart should sue the American people for that. I mean, good luck, because he'd be <laughs> he'd be in the same boat with your boy John Edwards. No relation. Um, yeah, but John Edwards was at least a little more awful. 
He was. Cause <laughs> like, come on, man. Your wife, she got the cancer. Real oh. You can't on, wait we were- a little bit. <laughs> Not even that. Stop it. No, come on, man. We were rooting for him. We really were. I I was. I I can say that for certain. I was rooting for him. And then, you know, that comes out. And then your wife has cancer. Come on, man. Mm, mm. Heartbreak. Yeah. Heartbreak. Yeah. yeah. Politics. You gotta love it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's really interesting. Uh just a couple of thoughts I had real quick. When you brought this to me, mm. I sort of did the whole uh uh, what is it from the Bachelor movies, you know, where he's in the casino and all of the numbers are going off? When you mentioned the the Willie Horton thing, and I kind of thought, holy crap, that is the pebble that started the giant snowball down the mountain that you see now. Uh-huh. And and then, but like you were saying, it definitely also led to it led to profiling. In a group that is already unduly profiled, and it made that even worse. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to say, knowing what we all know. If you listen to this show, it's a weird thing to say that. But I do think at that time that maybe some of that had lessened a little bit, and then it started going up again to where it's, you know, so many things that have happened now are probably that is kind of the start of where people get this attitude was from that Willie Horton ad. Yes. And to add to that, and now that, now that you say that it reminded me of what, um, what I shared with you the other day on the TikTok. I said the TikTok like an old person. Um, <clears throat> no offense to our elderly. You are seasoned and very valued. Um, there was a TikTok, uh, video or actually I had come across one, because TikTok is a rabbit hole. That's the best way to describe it. You look at one thing and it leads you to the next thing and then the next person and then someone else's profile and then, the, and then, and then, so I was looking at one TikTok video and it mentioned the name of another TikTok user who has been banned apparently because she was chock full of racism. Uh, they have a thing and it's not just on TikTok. I think they do it on some other platforms where you can, it's called a duet where you can Record yourself side by side looking and listening to someone else's video. So right. people were duetting one of this woman's video where she was talking about a particularly a tragic case that happened, I think it was earlier this year, where um, a little a little boy was kidnapped out of his house in the middle of the night and murdered. That by itself is tragic. Yes. Here's the trick, and I've seen it happen before um, a couple of years ago. The piece of trash that, that climbed in the house and kidnapped the little boy happened to be a black. The little boy was white. And this woman is telling the story, you know, while she's got a little screenshot of the headline saying, the world is full of evil and it's just tragic and never should have happened. And then all of a sudden you read the comments on the reposters page now. About how, well, nobody's treating this like it's a big deal. And then someone else says, well, you know why? Because it doesn't fit the narrative. They don't want to report when it's black on white crime. Skirt! I have seen, I have seen this exact same thing happen before where somebody will go in and capitalize on a tragic story of an unnecessary and horrible death of a child at the hands of some 
human waste dump. And because the perpetrator is black and the victim is white, they make a big deal out of saying no one reports on quote-unquote black and white crime. One, there is no such thing. Two, once again, we're dragging out this horrible, overdue-for-death stereotype that black people are inherently vile. And it's and it's not just politics that's that's uh, taking its cue from the tricks that were done in that campaign. It's people in general and how they choose to now that we have social media in such and such not demand literally at our fingertips. I mean, literally, you can go up there anytime you want to record a video and boom, you're there instantaneously. The fact that it's so readily available and all people have to do is press a button and they drop their useless opinions on the rest of the world like this woman did. Her implication was, or what she was trying to imply by relating the story was, these people are dangerous. The world is evil, so on and so forth. And she never said that the the victim was a little white boy. She never said that the perpetrator was a black person. She gave you the name specifically knowing that you would, if you were as concerned as she was, you would go look this up. You would find out and say, this is horrible. How come, how come there's no big story about it? Like there is when a black person is shot by police because the, the, the excuses for humanity that commit these atrocious crimes are arrested, charged, convicted, sent to prison. There is a vast difference between that and watching law enforcement officials continuously gun down black and other people of color in um, questionable circumstances. Completely different. But people keep trying to equate the two because they want to keep they want to keep the stereotype alive that black people are a dangerous species, so to speak. Right. And it's and it's from things like what happened in this campaign. Keep that notion alive. Keep getting people scared. Keep feeding their fears. And maybe in the case of social media, maybe I'll be the person that has the solution for you. Or in the case of a politician, maybe I'll be the ones that'll make the laws to protect you. Either way it goes, it keeps feeding on this fear that keeps perpetrating generation after generation after generation. Yeah. And I mean, not only the whole, you know, leading up to, you know, police on wrongfully, you know, shooting black men. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, It also leads to George Zimmerman. Yes, exactly. Those three fellas in, you know, that, of course, now I need to recall the information. My brain won't get it. Um, <laughs> oh, the Bryants. Yes. Yes, thank you. in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Right. It led to that. It yes. led to Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, yes. This is all stuff that to a certain segment of the population, because of an ad like Willie Horton and you're soft on crime and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. leads directly to that because yes. they've been fed this diet of fear. Yes. And um, not that I'm – obviously, I'm not making excuses for the people that did that because they have oh, – yeah. they're freaking yeah. adults and they can make their own minds up and they did what they did. Sure. But that doesn't mean that there's not something that can, you know, jumpstart it mm-hmm. or lead to it or keep something, you know, happening. It is. And it's it kind of comes back to um, our episode a little while ago about conspiracy theories. If someone has a particular thought 
if they see enough things or they hear enough things that correlate with their own beliefs, that just further cements the truth of it all. And if they keep coming across people that believe the same thing, the more people they come across, the more cemented it gets in their head. That's just that much more confirmation they have that this thing is true. So, mm -hmm. yep, yep. The lie keeps perpetrating. Just like you said, the little pebble keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. And eventually it's going to be a piece of Mount Everest or some crazy stuff. My comparison might be wrong, but you get the drift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we are definitely in the giant snowball is crashing through the lodge phase. Correct. But Correct. Uh, I do have hope that our, uh, our Gen Z have seen this gigantic snowball crash through the lodge. Mm -hmm. And I think they're not going to put up with it and they're going to rebuild the lodge and it's going to be a better lodge. Mm -hmm. and please keep the clowns out this time. Thanks. Yes. Please <sighs> All do right. <laughs> Listening friends, our time is drawing nigh and we just mean the end of this episode. So <laughs> that's right. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it, especially if you've gone through and listened for this this whole year that we've been doing this little thing, this little hobby of ours, that surprisingly, every Thursday, I have to inform my wife, no, we can't do that, I'm recording the podcast, Same. that we've been doing on Thursday nights since, I believe, roughly February. <laughs> yeah, I think that's when we switched up. Yeah, that's, that sounds right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how many times I got to say it. I'm busy every Thursday night. Yeah. I tell, tell my family the same thing. My draw, my daughter dropped by. I'll be like, you know, seven crop, that seven o'clock creeps up. I'm like, okay, you know, wrap it up. I, I hate to kick you out. She's like, what you about to do? What? Like y'all <laughs> bought me, y'all bought me this fine microphone for Christmas last year. What do you think I'm about to do with it? <laughs> Yeah. But we love you. Thank you. We do. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we appreciate it. And no, as always, we do it for the love of it. But if you care to support us, you can do so by going to anchor.fm backslash John dash Robertson three nine backslash support. We like the kind of support that jingles would be preferred the kind that folds that boy's good. Sexual chocolate, I'm out. <laughs> Bye. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, hit that like button and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Let us hear your feedback. You can find us on our website, podpage.com slash kenyatta-jack-save-the-world on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W on Facebook, or you can email us at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. You can also find further information about our chosen charities at Service Dog Project at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. And because we always want you to be good to yourselves and others, if you or anyone you know needs help or support, please check out the resources provided by the American Psychological Association at apa.org topics slash crisis dash topics. Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is 
production of Hyper Focus Podcasts.